welcome to episode 14 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest, the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all the happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. As always, I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are adding a different element to the Digest with interviews and other such content bringing voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The United States Premier Hockey League is the nation's largest amateur ice hockey league and the only league to span the continental United States and parts of Canada. The USPHL will field approximately 550 teams in 2020 and 2021 representing over 100 organizations comprised of 11,000 players spanning the ages of 6 through 20. Overall, across all its divisions, the USPHL had more than 1,200 alumni playing college hockey in 2019-20 and more than 250 playing pro hockey, including in the NHL. Learn more at usphl.com. Well, we took a week off, gentlemen. Uh, two weeks ago, we had the privilege to sit down with two members of the Detroit Red Wings organization. It was an unbelievable uh, interview with uh, those two guys from the Grand Rapids Griffins. We sat with, uh, down with head coach Ben Simon to discuss his upcoming and his hockey from youth to high school at Shaker Heights to becoming a player coach and now heading up Detroit's American League affiliate. Uh, what a great conversation with Ben. I really, really enjoyed talking to Ben, getting to know Ben a little bit. You know, we've heard a lot about Ben. I know Jay, you're a little bit closer in age to Ben than I am, but you know, understanding because he was a big name, still is a big name here in Cleveland hockey and uh, getting a a chance to get a little uh, intimate conversation with them. That was really cool. And I really enjoyed that. Well, anytime you put together, I don't know, 120, what, 129 points in 25 games, you're going to be a big name. Uh, But in all seriousness, I mean, well, that's amazing, but in all seriousness, yeah, it was really cool to sit down with Ben. Uh, Energetic guy, young guy, knows what he wants, understands how to go about getting it as far as uh, moving guys on and things like that. And it's, I did have a chance to play against Ben growing up and get to know Ben and played on a couple uh, tournament teams with him, but it's, I'm just excited for him and his future in coaching for sure. It was a lot of fun to talk to him. Hey, was he part of uh, team Ohio at all his junior year? He was. Is that when you were with him? Yes. Okay. How did he, how did he do at the showcase? Because uh, you guys came in second that year, right? The my, my uh, that was my uh, ninety three was we came in second ninety four we came in I think the top five. Okay. So. Yeah, ninety two. I'm not quite sure how we did. We finished pretty pretty well, but um, but so you had an opportunity to play with Ben. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Next, we had a chance to sit down with uh, Stanley Cup winning coach uh, Dan Belsman and Lev. You and I have had an opportunity to talk with. Uh, Coach Bell's outside of this podcast, you know, on the golf course, talk about hockey, not about hockey. We know how great of a guy Coach Bellsman is, and for him to take the time to come and talk to us uh, about, you know, where he's at now, where his career was from his BG days, from growing up in West Michigan to coaching the Olympic team, the Stanley Cup championship run, and now his current role to the Detroit Red Wings. You know, I, I know you see these people on TV and they have accolades out the wazoo. And they're just normal, 100% normal individuals. I mean, like you said, yes, we've had a, uh, many opportunity to sit down with uh, Dan and, and, and speak about and literally anything we wanted to ask him about. 
and he would ask us questions about stuff we had going on. And <laughs> we, we sat down with the Stanley Cup winning coach, and we sat down with the coach of the Red Wings, and we sat down with a Jack Adams winner, and we sat down with the Bowling Green Falcon, which he absolutely loves BG. And it was like we were just sitting here talking to each other. He's just a uh, – he's a great individual – with a mind that is amazing for hockey right. to pick his brain the way we get a chance to, or we have had the chance to, it's just amazing to, to do that. And, and the fact that he's willing to sit down with us and, and on those non hockey discussions and talk about, you know, not only the hockey game, but like, I remember that one of the conversations we had, we were talking about uh, net front. Why even, why even start there? Start at corners where the play actually starts. And then work your way in front of the net. Just kind of expanding our, our minds and getting our players. Uh, so we so, so we have the opportunity to get our players in the right spots. You want to be able to battle in front of the net? Let's battle outside in the corners in order to get you used to get in front of the net. Right? Remember? Yeah, what is it? You, you got to get you uncomfortable to get comfortable. Yeah, you don't, you don't want them in front of the net. So take the battle at him away from the net so right. he doesn't have a chance to get there. Yeah. Right. So Danny, Danny, Dan is always a good time. Um, he's always very generous with his time. And he's just a fun, fun conversation for sure. Absolutely. So we can't thank those guys enough for coming on. Uh, we look forward to watching. Hopefully, uh, you know, they'll, they're, I know the HL team is, is, is in a good spot. And, uh, you know, hopefully we get to watch uh, the rebuild over there in Detroit. Well, we're back in the saddle again this week. Uh, we have an exciting show for you. As always, we sit down with the commissioner of the Tri-States Collegiate Hockey League and the ACHA Southeast Regional Coordinator, Tim Driscoll, will be joining us. And we'll be also be joined by the general manager and head coach of the Toledo Cherokee of the USPHL premier in the Great Lakes Conference. Kenny Miller will be here on the show. I'm very excited to be back. Uh, I know, Jay, you're excited. Dan, you're excited to be back uh, to get the live action. We had a week off. Uh, hopefully you guys did something fun. What, what's been going on for the last uh, week and a half since we left for holiday break? Danny, where's that, where's the, where are we at now? Are you in boxes? Are you on your way out? I see more more boxes behind you right now. We are uh, half in boxes, half not. Um, but everything's moving along fine. We had the home inspections and the appraisals and everything for the banks on both ends came back. So now we're just counting down the days until August 3rd when we can start moving boxes from one place to the other. Nice. I, t- I tell you what, Danny, I moved into this house 15 years ago now. For, well, it'll be 15 years, 14 years ago this August, and I still have stuff in boxes. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not lying. I, I still have stuff in boxes that I go down my basement every once in a while. I'm like, oh, I wonder what's in this box. And it still has tape on it. <laughs> like, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and by the way, go ahead, Dan. We've been cleaning house too like threw away a bunch of stuff last week and well we thought we were throwing it away put it on the tree lawn and then wake up in the morning before the garbage even came someone someone took it well you know the old saying your trash is someone else's jewels so hey uh what have you been into the the new house like i'm anxious to know what i might be getting myself oh yeah from the, yeah. From, yeah um what's the status what's the status on the humphrey lottery uh auction we have not been back in since we did our inspection, but there is um, a couple bedroom sets, some dressers that I'm pretty sure are going to stay, dining room table, a giant china cabinet, and like a hutch. 
I would go through those because a lot of those uh, uh, people like to like store stash cash and like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the secret, the secret. You lift the frame off the wall, and there's a hole. It's it's got a, a, a money stash in the wall. You, you know what it's like? It's like when you like wear a pair of jeans after the summertime that you haven't worn all, and you're like, oh shit, there's twenty bucks in there. You know, <laughs> somebody forgets that they stashed you know three hundred thousand dollars back in an urn in the uh, cabinet. In an urn. <laughs> Um, but isn't it true don't you feel so good like when you when you find the five dollar bill and the jeans after you haven't worn them all summer and you're like oh damn five bucks man it's like it's like hit the jackpot you know it's like when you uh pull your jeans or whatever shorts out of the laundry and you find like 10 bucks floating in the in the bottom of the washer you're like well i gotta iron the pants anyway let's iron the ten dollar bill I usually I usually find pens or gum that are stuck everywhere or like the ink exploded. So you're doing better than me with the ten dollars. Lev, anything so, fun over the holiday? No, it was. You ever see that scene in uh, the Godfather? I think it's Godfather Two or uh, what's his name? Uh, Al Pacino sitting in the backyard and he's just kind of like this. Yeah, that's what I was doing on uh, New Year's Eve. New Year's, New Year's Eve? Eve? Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Deep. I'd like to give a shout out to Deep Eddies. Thanks for the sponsorship. <laughs> Night, Jim Kite. No, uh, I did nothing. I did. I did a lot of stuff around the house. I uh, hung out with the kids, the uh, the wife, and uh, it was very low-key. It was very nice. It was very hot, though. Very yeah, it's, hot. it's been ripping hot here in, in the Cleveland area, but uh, I will say that since all the uh, fireworks shows have been canceled, um, I live in a western suburb of cleveland north ridgeville and if the north ridgeville uh, politicians saw any of the private firework shows uh they probably would cancel the rest uh forever the yes. the firework shows from this point on and just save the money because it, it, this one firework show that my one neighbor in my na- in my neighborhood did lasted for an hour and it was it was better than any cleveland indian show i've ever seen in my life it was unbelievable it was unreal yeah, the big, the, but, but, the big but, mortars going on. Oh, oh, mortars, man! It like, I, I, I you know, I kind of, I struggle because I feel bad for some of our military men and women that you know have battled and they suffer uh, uh, some some issues when it comes to Fourth uh, of July and fireworks. But it was it was very loud. It was very active, if you will, um, around our uh, neighborhood. I, I think around anywhere, to be honest with you. But um, you know, they say we're in the middle of a recession, but everyone's spending. The three thousand dollars on freaking fireworks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All all businesses are showing loss, except right. for Phantom Fireworks. Right. They saw the biggest growth they could ask for. Well, hey, I got uh, I got a little update on my garden. If you guys want to know. Yeah, well, what do we got going? Well, I'm right, still so- waiting. Management hasn't come down. I, I went to management about the uh, cooking with Sully, and uh, the management has not gotten back to me. He must have been, I don't know, in New Hampshire. Go ahead. Well, it's okay that, that we haven't gotten that answer yet because if I was to do a vegetarian meal with all the vegetables that I'm growing in my backyard, um, we wouldn't have much of a meal because the damn rabbits are back. Not, not, and, and, and Danny, and I, I swear to God, I have this thing. If, if I put, if I put, Danny, if I put you in there with this cage, you couldn't get out. But these rabbits find a way to get in and get out. Okay, they drive my dogs crazy, and it's not the deer. I told you my deer, I told you the deer can't jump the eight foot. They're not. You know, they can clear that. No, they can't. No, they can't. I'm telling you. So okay. it's these ra- okay. it's these it's the rabbits. And the rabbits are really, really enjoying my pepper plants and my radishes. And what it's it's it I'm I have to be kind of nice because 
I enjoy peppers and radishes too. So at least we have the same kind of taste. Yeah, that's good news. <laughs> so the, the the rabbit's taking. I mean, the the rabbit is is jumping around with his butt on fire eating those peppers you got going on though. Right. No, I know that's okay. Good. That's what they deserve. That's what they deserve. They drive. They drive my dogs. They drive my dogs crazy though. So, but yeah. they're, these these rabbits are almost like Pavlov's dog, right? So as soon as they hear the door open, they get out. So they know that the door means the dogs, right? Mm-hmm. I sometimes don't even the dogs aren't even here. I just open the door and you see them running out of the out of the uh, garden. <laughs> so, so if anything, we've done some conditional training with them. And oh, that's good. <laughs> so, so, but yeah. <clears throat> Crazy man, crazy. So Dan, understand you had a birthday over the holiday, huh? Yeah, the um, dirty thirty birthday. Thank you. Oh, um, you turned thirty. Yeah. So oh we my had... gosh. Wait, wait, you're thirty. I'm thirty. That's it. Holy Jesus. Um. All right, you're you're done. Go ahead. Gee, we are we are freaking old, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we we had... start looking like us. A. Probably back in January, February, before COVID, we started planning what are we going to do. And we were going to get a party bus, possibly see you know if we can get Bart and just do a little brewery tour. Yeah, you know, get everybody and just do a brewery tour <clears throat> locally. And then COVID hit, so it all got canceled. But um, we went to Top Golf on Wednesday, and I mean they they do it right there. They I felt safe. They had everything broken off and you know your little pods um it's not cheap tell you that much we it's what like 40 40 some bucks an hour to golf which not bad divided by six so we were there two hours so golf alone was like 16 bucks a person but then you start putting a couple blue moons back and order a couple appetizers next thing you know they're bringing you your bill and it's three hundred (laughs) dollars Well, so how, listen, how, how, it's your 30th birthday and you spent 300 bucks. It's yeah. threes and zeros. It's okay. Yeah, it's all good. How, uh, how'd you hit the ball? It's a lot better than I do at the course. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're relaxed. You don't have to really aim at anything. You just freaking rip it out there. You got walls or the nets or whatever. Yeah. But no, I mean, it was cool. That's good. And then they have it, you know, well, they have it set up different games and stuff you can play, aiming for your targets and stuff. So, right. That's cool. Well, happy birthday, Dan. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, like you said, Jay, it's been hot, man. It's been a scorcher here in Ohio. Let's, so let's take a little pontoon boat ride into the river, see what's happening in the digest and what's making news in the world of hockey today. There is no better way to get your company's message across to the hockey fans in and around the state of Ohio than advertising on Ohio Hockey Digest or the on-air podcast. Contact Scott Harrington today at 216 Two three four five, or Scott at OhioHockeyDigest.com. On July 6th, Jerry Snodgrass was relieved of his duties as executive director of the Ohio High School Athletic Association. Bob Goldring, who has served as director of communications, assistant commissioner, and most recently, senior director of operations during his 25 years at the Ohio High School Athletic Association, was named interim executive director. Goldring told the Columbus Dispatch, quote, I was kind of caught off guard about the interim position, end quote. Ohio High School Athletic Association Board President Dan Leffenwell announced that a nationwide search for the vacancy will begin immediately. Last month, we had the opportunity to speak with Pat O'Rourke on the podcast. 
and we broke the news about the Ohio High School Athletic Association moving towards two divisions for ice hockey beginning in 2021 and 2022. O'Rourke, a member of the Ohio High School Athletic Association Coaches Advisory Committee, listed the support of Snodgrass as one of the reasons for optimism that the new format would pass. Here's what Pat said last month. With Jerry behind it, and we've had some, we've basically moved beyond, like, is this going to happen? More to, like, how is it going to happen? It remains to be seen what Goldring's views are on this issue. Jay, you know that this is a big issue, uh, and it's close to, uh, close to home for you and I uh, with our sport and with what we do. Um, I was very, <clears throat> again, I don't know the details, but I was very shocked and saddened to hear that uh, <clears throat> Jerry was relieved of his duties because he was very supportive of our sport. Um, and I know there might, I mean, maybe he, I don't, again, like, I don't know the whole details. I'm not going to try to speculate what happened, but um, I would hope that this doesn't put a roadblock into what advances we've made as a sport uh, trying to break into two different divisions. I hope it doesn't. I'm not as optimistic. Um, no, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. I, I didn't, I didn't know Jerry, you know, I, I just know of him. Obviously he's been around for a long time and, and he was a big proponent of hockey. And we had, we were basically, we are on the cusp of something that's needed and something that's important in our sport. And in, in a day and age when there needs to be change in our sport, Jerry was, you know, kind of a spearhead for that. And, and for him to be relieved of his duties, it's unfortunate. It's saddened. I'm saddened by it. Um, I, I, you know, wish him well. And I really, 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 really hope that the OHSA knows what the heck they're doing because rumors fly. And from everything that I'm hearing right now, it's about to be a tornado here shortly. Right. And, right. and I just hope we have a, I have a, I hope uh, whatever ends up being a fall sport, you can figure out what I've heard from that uh, gets their season in. I hope that winter has their season and I hope that spring has their season as well. Um, but who knows trying to stay optimistic on it. And it's a shame that, you know, for whatever reasons, Jerry and, and whoever did not see eye to eye and, and it went the way it went. Right. The NHL players association and the NHL's board of governors voted on Friday to ratify not only a return to play plan, but a six year collective bargaining agreement extension. The NHL and the NHLPA now head to two secure bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton in preparation for dropping the puck on the 24-team playoff August 1st. Get ready for games from noon to well past midnight in the East, with October 4th scheduled as the last possible day of the Stanley Cup Final. The 2020 NHL Draft is tentatively slated for October 9th and 10th and will likely be held virtually. Hey, help me understand this, because I, I was trying to read up on some information here. Yep. This October 4th will be the last day for the Stanley Cup final. Yep. When would next season, let's say we just roll into next season, when would that start? Uh, what I've heard and read is uh, late December, 1st of January, and run it, basically run the seasons until they catch up, catch back up to where they were. So you would start. So it'd be like a three-year cycle. Yep, basically. Okay. So All right. so they, they go to October, start the year again in December, January. The, the late the last rumor I heard was start with the Winter Classic. That would start the year. Okay. And then run your full year wherever that ends, 
and then as as it you know it starts to cycle itself back to its August September October start date. Right. I was trying to I was trying to find some information on that, and I, I couldn't really get a definitive. And I, again, I, I don't think any I don't think there's any definitive answer on what that's going to be. You know, but right. but that does make sense that they'll just kind of loop themselves and catch themselves up. Yep. A little bit closer to home, a pair of players are taking advantage of the junior hockey options available here in Ohio to further their career closer to home. Lakewood's Will and Rob Holden decided to stay in Ohio and play for the Worcester Oilers of the USPHL after originally saying they were heading east to play for the Long Beach Sharks of the NA3HL. Here's what the Holden brothers had to say. Having a team in Worcester and having a team where it can be around some people we've grown up with, uh, it's kind of nice just staying at home my first year exploring this whole junior hockey thing. Um, and then on top of that, just the, uh, the the organization of Wooster, talking to the owner, the coaches, it just seemed like it'd be a really great fit. And then going to their camp this weekend, it just kind of solidified that, that this is really a place that I want to be at for the upcoming season. Honestly, I was really surprised. I was surprised at how organized everything was. I was surprised at the uh, the competition at camp. It was really good. And honestly, I think we're gonna uh, I think we're gonna put out a pretty good team this year, um, which is great. You know, the uh, everything's really professional. Every um, like I said before, everything's really organized. So I was definitely I was definitely happy with everything I saw at camp. The Columbus Mavericks of the USPHL re-signed their leading scorer as Dublin native and former Dublin Kaufman star Keegan Hoover will return to the team for the 2020-2021 season. Hoover notched 16 goals and 20 assists in 43 games for the Mavs to lead the team in scoring during their inaugural season. Chris Lillestrung put together an all-decade team for the News Herald coverage area. The team was dominated by preppers as university school accounted for nine of the 11 players listed. Evan Kruger of, of University School was player of the decade. He scored 57 goals and 101 points as a senior and 120 goals for his career. All-decade honorable mention from University School, George Brin, J.D. Clements, Ryan Gorbett, Clark Jones, Drew Muser, Jamie Regan, Ian Robertson, and Matt Whipper. The non-University School players recognized were Evan McBride from Menor and Jacob Schmidt from Lake Catholic. Here's some comments from Chris and how he came up with the list. So basically I went through uh, all of our uh, New Herald All-Star teams from 2010 to 2019 and uh, looked at our players of the year as well as our first teamers. So if there were uh, guys who were players of the year or multiple time first teamers or a combination of both, they were under consideration. And then I ultimately arrived uh, at the list of, uh, of 11 total uh, player of the decade and the 10 honorable mention. Yeah. And obviously the, the first thing that sticks out about the list is a lot of preppers, but they had a lot of good teams. They were, uh, you know, perennially uh, a strong team and had a lot of kids that played two or three years. No doubt. I mean, it, you know, it, it's difficult in an all decade context because yes, ideally you would like to have, Maybe a little bit more uh, team balance in, in, in that regard, but with an all-decade context, I mean, you have to look at the individual talent uh, of players. And obviously, as you stated, uh, U.S. has had uh, quite a few great players uh, at forward, uh, certainly on the blue line, uh, between the pipes, and, and ultimately uh, a lot of those guys uh, deserve their spot on the list, and it ended up being a lot of U.S. guys, to be sure, but they, uh, they all deserve their spot on the list. And it had to then you only had so many spots, so that made it harder too. What if you had one extra spot, a twelfth spot on the list? 
who do you, who would you give that to? I think probably uh, the one uh, the one player of the year for the News Herald that I did not have on the All Decade team was Jackson Polish, who had a great year. Uh, his uh, senior campaign uh, when uh, U.S. got to state once again in Columbus, he had a fantastic campaign that year on the team with J.D. Clemens and those guys. I would probably go with Jackson because the window was uh, 09-10 to 18-19, so this past season wasn't included. So guys like Kyle Baxton and Val Carrero probably would have been in consideration. Uh, they, they didn't uh, get into that mix because of the window. Heavy, heavy U.S., heavy university school i don't understand how that is there's all those schools out there and, and again i'm not disagreeing with those players i, no. I think I, I think those guys those players are really good players but but how if you're gonna do it i mean let's let's get real i mean what about the what about those sundin brothers from kenston yeah. where, where, where are they they set records yeah i mean <laughs> it's uh you know what i'd like to do is i let's talk to management let's get chris on uh, on uh, a quick phone call or a podcast and see how he came up with this list i'm not i'm not saying it's wrong i just no. think there's some other players out that way like i said the sundin brothers i give them props i think there's a lot no disrespect to the guys chosen they're all deserving 100 um <laughs> i just think there's a lot more that weren't chosen and, and again with any list that you make somebody's always going to get left out i understand that and i i know chris and chris had a a probably has probably pulled the rest of his hair out trying to figure out who to put on that list. And, you know, it is hard to, to argue with the names he put on there. They're all, they were all excellent players. Some of them still are excellent players and they've earned it, but there's a lot of guys left off that it could have been, I guess, a little bit more spread around, but that's just me. Well, no, no, no. And I, and I agree. I am again, I'm not questioning any of these players on there, not questioning one bit. What I'm questioning is, is, there's some players, Jay, you and I both know that should be on there. Yep. That aren't. Right. I mean, so I'm, I'm happy to see Jacob Schmidt on the list. Same, same definitely, with me. I definitely happy to see Jake on there. What, what, a, what a great player and what a great kid oh, that, that kid is, man. God, what a beast. God, was he pain in the ass to play against? Loved watching <laughs> him play, hated coaching against him. And one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why I hated coaching against him is because he is so good, he's so strong. And he's such a nice kid. That kid's going to go far, man. I hope so. I definitely hope so. The Ivy League has canceled all fall sports for the upcoming school year due to the ongoing concerns over the coronavirus pandemic. No sports are allowed to compete until at least January 1, which obviously impacts college hockey with Cornell, Princeton, Dartmouth, Harvard, Yale, and Brown making up half of the 12-team ECAC. We plan on speaking with Chagrin Falls native and former Youngstown Phantom, Curtis Hall, in the next few weeks, and we'll have to get his reaction to all this. Curtis is scheduled to return to Yale for his junior season. The NHL may be restarting, but not everybody is following suit. The Greater Toledo Inline Hockey League determined it would not be responsible to operate given the uncertainty that lies with playing during this time and canceled the 2020 summer season. And finally... The Menor Icebreakers are accepting registrations for Junior Icebreakers Youth Hockey Camp. Here's Icebreakers head coach Sebastian Ragno with more. Hey everyone, Coach Ragno here with Menor Icebreakers. Wanted to make you guys aware that we are hosting a Junior Icebreakers Hockey Youth Camp. It will begin October 17th and be a full week. Uh, we will have two groups, Group A and Group B, 
Each group will get two hours of ice each day, as well as an hour of off-ice instruction. We're super excited to be having our first camp. It's time to get on air. Let's welcome our first guest, the commissioner of the Tri-States Collegiate Hockey League, Tim Driscoll. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The United States Premier Hockey League has five teams in the Ohio Hockey Digest coverage area. The Columbus Mavericks, the Toledo Cherokee, Wooster Oilers, Lake Erie Bighorns, and the Fort Wayne Spacemen. Learn more at usphl.com. Our first guest represents the Red Devils of Chaminade Prep from St. Louis, Missouri. He went on to coach at the University of Dayton, leading them to three regular season titles during the early years of the ACHA. He then went to take the helm at Xavier University, leading them to 144 and 79 record in his tenure. He was a commissioner of the Indiana Collegiate Hockey Conference. He is currently the commissioner of the Tri-States Collegiate Hockey League and the Southeast Regional Coordinator for the ACHA, a 2016 Coach of the Year while at Xavier, and a 2019 inductee in the Chaminade Prep Athletics Hall of Fame. Please welcome on air from the T, Commissioner Tim Driscoll. Welcome, Tim. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate that. I'm glad you know that you know our little nickname, the T there. So, <laughs> Absolutely. As you'll see, we'll do, we've done a lot of research. I see um, you do that. Uh, so, uh, Tim, what we're going to do, we're excited to have you on here. We're excited to have our listeners here uh, get a little bit of knowledge about uh, the T and uh, learn a little bit about uh, the conference that you are the commissioner of. But to start with, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, obviously, you grew, you grew up in St. Louis. You went to Chaminade. Um, and what led you to becoming the coach of Dayton uh, and in its inaugural year of the ACHA? Yeah, that's, um, you know, I was a young guy at the time. Uh, after I graduated from Chaminade, which was a Marianist high school, uh, University of Dayton is also a Marianist college. So that drew me there and uh, it afforded me an opportunity to play at, at uh, Dayton. At the time, they were a D, an NCAA D3 program. So um, it was, you know, similar, honestly, to what the ACHA looks like now. I mean, that's the caliber of comparative hockey in terms of what I'm dealing with now. But um, short version is uh, after my playing days, I still had the itch, but I couldn't scratch it anymore other than being behind the bench. And um, was lucky enough, a very good friend of mine, Kurt Krause, who I had played with, and then he coached me in college. Uh, he asked me to join him. And next thing you know, we um, spent about four or five years coaching the, um, coaching the Flyers. Hey, uh, so when you were in St. Louis, uh, where did you grow up playing at? I, I spent really, there was an area out West in the Chesterfield area. And the time was called the Delta hockey program. It's no longer around, um, uh, you know, progress, things happen, but um, most of my time was playing really at Chaminade because that, that school started in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So you can start there in sixth grade. And I moved to St. Louis in fifth grade. So I, then joined on at Chaminade and played sixth, seventh, eighth. And then of course, uh, my high school career, I did not do the junior route. Um, the, um, academic rigors of Chaminade were pretty robust and, uh, my parents were crystal clear about where my talent was going to take me. Uh, and, uh, so, <laughs> don't you, don't uh, yeah. you, don't you just hate the brutally honest, brutally honest parents that we've all <laughs> become now. <laughs> the reality is they were spot on. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> right. Hey, so Tim, quick question. I, I, I mean, I, it gets ripping hot in St. Louis. I mean, uh, how many, uh, concretes have you had at Ted Drew's in your life? So this is a true story. You're not going to believe this when I tell you this, but 
my brother-in-law's office is right across the street from Ted Drew's. And I was home with my kids visiting my folks recently. And you're, you're not gonna believe what I'm about to tell you. It was the first time I had been to Ted Drew's. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. You got to go get the, they turn it upside down, Tim. You will keep this in mind. It's about two blocks from the brewery. Well, right. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, I, I did spend a little time there in my youth. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> you ever gone to Ragazzi's? You ever gone to Ragazzi's and had absolutely. a fishbowl? Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. So there how you how go. do you know St. Louis so well? Oh, I, I, I've got my ways. Actually, my my wife's from St. Louis, so I, no I spent I spent a lot of time there, and and okay. she actually wanted me to ask you, were you were you a dormer at Chaminade? I was not. I was she, not. Yeah. She, she went to Visitation Academy. Oh yeah. Sure. Right down the road. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> my buddy, was, one big of my Al Robowski's. Yeah, oh, yeah. crazy yeah. Al Robowski's. Yeah, yeah. He I spoke took a- at one of my banquets when I was a kid, and it was the craziest thirty-minute speech I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I took. Uh, um, yeah, I've spent I've spent a lot of time there, obviously. But I, I Jay and I went there a couple times, and uh, we went down to that, uh, Al Robowski's or Robowski's place right before a Cardinals game, and uh, great little great little city, man. You go down. I don't know how the landing is now, but when we were there years ago the landing was hopping and it was kind of like the flats here in cleveland so it was kind of cool yeah it's kind of migrated over to ballpark village now that's where um kind of the hot social spot is or so i'm told i at my age i don't spend a whole lot of time yeah. doing it. But, uh, you just walk by it. You just yeah, walk yeah, by yeah. it. I know. Right, I, know. Right, right. I know. Social di- I know. You, 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 you social distance before social yeah. distancing was even the thing. I, I made it cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I made it cool. Well, one of the, one of the things, and, and I know we're going to, we're going to, this is kind of a little bit off of off the, the, the scripture, but um, you know, one of the things that, that I, Jay and I coach high school hockey here in Cleveland. And one of the things I would love to do is, is try to bridge that gap. I mean, we, we seem to only go as far as like Indianapolis, you know, like the Culver area or whatever. I'd like to continue to build, like bridge that gap to the, to the Chaminades, to the other schools in St. Louis, you know, that have, because St. Louis is blowing up in hockey, as you know, Um, you know, to try to get those high schools to come or meet, at least meet halfway, like an Indy or something like that and do that. So. Yeah. And, and I think with what's been happening with high school hockey, not, you know, Cleveland's always had been pretty strong with um, their high school hockey with Ignatius and Ed's and those programs. But um you know, St. Francis a couple of years ago, they uh, they brought it home. They brought it all home. And I think Columbus hockey has really made some leaps and bounds. Sure. And so suddenly it's the interest in moving, coming east, but that being the St. Louis folks to come east is probably higher than it's been. So, and I happen to, you know, still be pretty um, embedded in the hockey community back there just from former buddies that now coach. So we could probably make something like that happen. Yeah, you know, like Chaminade, Christian Brothers, you know, a couple of those schools out that way that, you know, are, are really put some emphasis into the hockey programs, yep. you know, and, and you know, I think maybe hopefully that, uh, you know, when we're off the air, you know, I can chat a little bit about that and try to see how we can make that work. I'd like to do that. So back to the coaching and from Dayton, you go to uh, Xavier, Xavier University. From 09 to 2018, you compile a record of 144 and 79. Can you tell us how you were able to build such success at Xavier? I'll tell you, and I'm going to sound like this is humble pie, but it's not. This is the God's honest truth is I was unbelievably lucky on my timing. Um, and that is to say that the caliber of kids that came in my first year there were unbelievable. Um, one kid in particular, a young man by the name of Patrick Reedy, he was probably the most dangerous goal scorer I've ever seen at any level, easily could have gone on and played, probably not D1, but certainly D3. 
And, uh, but he wanted to be a doctor, so he came to Xavier because of their med school. Uh, pre-med program is so strong. At any rate, had a whole bunch of kids, actually, that did that. Three kids went to Xavier to go into pre-med that were excellent hockey players. One of them was um, Nate Hahn, whose brother is now playing over in uh, Princeton, played for the Columbus AAA Blue Jackets. And I, I wish I could say I recruited these kids. I wish I could say I had a lot to do with them coming, but um, I, uh, I inherited them. But what we did do quickly is it was all about culture. Um, they hadn't had a winning program ever, hadn't ever had a winning season prior to that. And, um, you know, we, we quickly established that that's in the rearview mirror. And that's not what, you know, we're not here to play beer league hockey. You know, if you're showing up here, we're going to take this thing as far as we can get it to go. And, and to the kids' credit, so we had so much buy-in so early on, and we rode that wave, you know, for a long, long time. So much awesome. so that when I was at when I when it was when I started, we were the D three team, you know, an ACHE D three. Now they're a, um, a ranked D two program, and sky's the limit for those guys. Nice. Good. So in 2018, uh, you became the commissioner of the Tri-States Collegiate Hockey League. Um, from one coach to another, it's kind of hard to walk away from the bench. It's that competitive, you know, uh, role that we love. Uh, why did you make the move from behind the bench to the commissioner's role? Uh, and what were the beginning goals of the league? Sure. Um, it's a bit of a long answer, but you can probably tell I'm already a little long-winded. So um, we, got, uh, we got time. My drink's still full, so we're good. <laughs> okay. The short answer was I was not necessarily ready to step away, but – I felt two things happened. One is I started feeling like the program was maybe um, stronger than I, I couldn't, I didn't, I wasn't sure I was the right guy to get it to the next level. You know, that maybe there'd be another guy that come along that would get it to that next level of skill. And then the other thing that happened, and this was kind of the, it was made the decision relatively easy was I became a grandpa um that year and when that happened you know it was just about hey i want to be around the house yeah. uh, i want to see my little guy who i you know that's the whole world revolves around him now and um but i'll tell you um i it was inc way more difficult than i thought to walk away and two and a half years later it's not been any easier um sure. i i miss it <laughs> i really do miss being behind Behind the bench, but in the lock, you know, I mean, nothing I'm going to tell you is going to surprise you, but it sounds a little cliche, but when you've done it, that locker room, there's nothing like a hockey locker room. I, I don't care anybody says, there's nothing like it. And, um, uh, and you know, the competitive nature of me behind the bench is, hasn't dissipated with time. <laughs> so, Do you ever see yourself getting in, like, uh, with your grandson, maybe coaching the little guys? I, I think about that. Um, I do. And uh, he's two now, and he was running around my house today with his little hockey stick. And uh, I'm sure he's a gifted athlete. You know, I think he's going to threaten <laughs> that. Hey, hey, it's spoken like a true hockey parent. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is I want the kid to be good. So I'm not sure I'll be the coach. But <laughs> I do think, uh, Tim, honestly, I, um, I think I'll go back. You know, probably as an assistant some, somewhere um, yeah. where I can balance my – growing family and, um, you know, with sons-in-laws and things like that, but still, um, you know, be in the, in the, in the middle of it all. Right. So what were some of the beginning goals of the league when you, when you took over? Yeah, it was crystal clear the direction that they gave me, you know, that when I say they, the, uh, the members, um, 
and uh, you know that is of course to say the teams they wanted to be the best conference in the country uh d three two one didn't matter you know the aspiration was to be the best conference in the country and yeah anybody can say that but there was a pretty clear definition about what that was and it was of course um you know, send more teams to regionals than any team, than any conference in the country. But at the same time, there was a strong desire to say it's competitive top to bottom. Um, and if you look at our league over the course of the last two or three years, um, some of the teams that maybe struggled a little bit to compete have, um, they're no longer in the league, frankly, by choice. Um, uh-huh. You know, it's no fun to play when you're getting, you know, beat by double digit goals. That's not any fun. And um, and they understood it and everybody had their eyes wide open to that. So, and I think we've accomplished that, uh, Jason, I really do. I think, um, and then, it, you know, again, here I am with the coach cliche, but on any given night, and if you look at the records last year, that's exactly what happened. All the overtime games in the playoffs from one seeds with six seeds and things of that nature. But we still have one more goal that we haven't accomplished um, in, in particular and a couple in general. But one more big goal is we haven't won a national championship yet. And um, everybody's rowing in that direction. And um, it, I think it'll happen. And I think uh, every, every individual team wants to be the one, but we'll all be tickled to death with whomever it ends up being. Right. Right. Well, it, with, with six of the nine teams in the league located in Ohio, the, the league really provides – Ohio-born players with a place to play and continue their careers, um, play college hockey, doesn't it? It sure does. And if you look at the rosters, um, there's kids from, um, well, your neck of the woods, the Cleveland area. Um, you know, they, the, they find themselves, a lot of them over at OU and then um, down into Miami and um, uh, <clears throat> the Eds and the Ignatius kids might show up at Dayton or at, um, or at Xavier. So it, it certainly does. But the other thing that's interesting is that those kids, we, you know, we have a recruiting form that we track on our website and those kids from the state of Ohio, you know, Indiana is a heck of a college, right? So they're interested in that school as well as Kentucky and Louisville. So um, it does, what it does do is it says, oh, I want to look at this tri-state hockey league. And suddenly they realize, oh, geez, I didn't know that IU was in that or Kentucky's in that or Louisville's in that. So um it, it gives visibility to all the teams and it ultimately it ends up kids play really good hockey and end up with a hell of an education. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions uh, when it comes to the ACHA and, and um, you know, Jay and I both know how, how well and how good the ACHA is. And a lot of those, a lot of the play, a lot of the families don't know uh, uh, those things, you know, so what are some of the things that players and their families need to know about the ACHA hockey uh, to kind of, get rid of some of those misconceptions yeah it it um i think to a large degree what i was just referring to is it is i would i would say this and this might be a little bit of a bold statement but this is a comment about the acha and and frankly it's a comment about the tschl that um every roster in in our league has at least a line full of kids and a pair of d and probably a goalie that's talented enough to play ncaa hockey Again, I don't want to overstate that and suggest to you, you know, that they're going to go play at North Dakota or something like that. But the the point I'm trying to make is the caliber of hockey. These are all AAA kids, you know, that um, MVPs and all-stars at the AAA level. Lots of kids from juniors um, um, are in our league. But but what's an interesting um, decision oftentimes for our league is those kids that are good enough to play juniors, you know, they could go do that. 
but they're ready to get on with their education. They're not giving anything up by, in terms of the quality of hockey they're getting ready to go play. They're, it's still going to be a very, very uh, good brand of hockey, highly competitive. And again, I would argue um, as good as some of the, uh, the NCAA D3 teams and certainly as good as many of the junior teams around the country. You know, I think that's important, Tim, what you just said there, that you know, the ACHA has gotten themselves to, uh, into a spot to where the kids don't need – I mean, if, if they're going to go play at a junior level – and they're going to move on past the junior level onto a division one or the OHL or whatever it may is. They, they know that already. Right. Couldn't so agree. you, you have the opportunity now to play same caliber of hockey and get an unbelievable education at the same time doing it and living the college experience. And, and as we all know, I mean, the college experience is something very, very special and kids need to really understand that yeah there's nothing like putting on your university sweater you know I mean there really there really isn't anything quite like that and you said that so perfectly that um, they do know but sometimes they haven't come to terms with that decision like listen I know I, I tell people oftentimes no matter what school I'm talking about because I get the calls about a lot of different uh, schools in in our conference I tell them listen you can go play juniors but in two years, you're, we're going to be having the same conversation again. You know, you're yeah. coming back. I'm going to see you again. And you'll probably be a little bit better hockey player because of that. And you'll have grown and, you know, and, and developed a little bit uh, both skill-wise and physically. But you're not going to give up anything by coming out and getting your education started. And, uh, and you're going to have a hell of a good time. Heck, we've sent kids to Europe, you know, to go play. Um, I coached a goalie. He went over to Europe and played in Europe for – 10 days, not as a pro, but as an ACHA all-star, and they toured Europe to play against their top uh, amateur teams. That's what I'm talking about. That's right. what opportunity rests here. Right, and, and, and I think what people, and we talk about these misconceptions, I think what our listeners need to understand if they don't know much about the ACHA is that you, you, even if you go play your two or three years of juniors, whatever it is, the ACHA is an unbelievable opportunity, and the skill level to where the ACHA has gotten today is out of control. It's, it's unbelievable. You guys have done a really, really good job at that of getting the skill to where it needs to be. Yeah. Credit to Craig and his leadership, you know, and Dave Kurtz and those guys who have, they had a vision, you know, and uh, it's been a long time coming, but over time here, it just continues the caliber of the hockey just continues to grow. I, I admittedly, you know, I took over Xavier. And when I said that it was my first year, I was a little naive to it. You know, we showed up and I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't just uh decent club hockey this is a whole different kettle of fish and I had to sharpen my uh coaching pencil very quickly sure. otherwise we're gonna get run out of a lot of gyms sure I mean we, we we've seen some some of these teams play I mean you know we had we've had players that have gone to play at OU we've had a goalie that went and played at Lindenwood and and you know these these teams are just you know and, and it's not even the show, those two teams I mean it, any team that comes out of the ACHA they're they're solid teams like you said it's no longer not that it was but the club hockey in the ACHA level is not a men's league hockey. Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that, that's, that's been the misnomer for years was, you know, I don't want to just play club, but that's a person who hasn't seen the, 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 the product. I mean, when, when they had uh, uh, nationals at Gilmore and we're sitting there watching it going, Holy God, this is fast. Yeah. This is yeah. good. Yeah. And, and you, you know, the, the, the misconception is that I'm just giving up. Oh, well, it's just a men's league. I don't want to put that work in. 
Well, that's not the case. I mean, you guys are in a league. You, you are under the ACHA. You have rivalries, which actually the next question is about to get to. But you have rivalries. You have – I mean, like Sully said, obviously being from Cleveland, we, we know quite a few of the guys that are playing on these teams, Ohio State, Miami, a uh, few of the OUs and the Bowling Greens. It's great. It's a great brand of hockey. And I, I wish more people would take advantage of the opportunity that's there. Yeah, you know, what, what's happened is technology has helped. Um, everybody's live streaming now, right? So all of a sudden, you know, the broadcast caliber is going up and it's getting better. And so suddenly kids can sit in their living room and, you know, heck, you can you can put it up on your big screen TV if you want. And suddenly you realize, oh, wait, this is uh, this is pretty darn good hockey. The other thing that comes with it is, you know, I did the men's league thing, you know, when my time came. The other thing you just cannot replace is um, having teammates, you know, when you're all playing for something. For four years, you do that with these guys. And then I talk about this all the time. When when you're playing college hockey, you know, 20 years from now, or probably 10 in most cases, a lot of guys will graduate and then they'll go about their lives. And then they're in one another's weddings and they're lifelong friends. And and you just can't get that um, if you if you give up on playing the competitive nature of what the ACHA has to offer. Right. And, and I, and I just, uh, Jay, I know you're going to move on with the question, but I just yeah, want to, I, I think this is important to say that the ACHA club hockey is not intramural hockey. And, and I've heard that over and over again. Well, it's like playing intramurals. No intramurals. You don't just go intramurals. You go out there and then you go to BW three and have a, have a couple beers and some wings, right? right? ACHA club hockey at the division one to two and three level. And even at the late, at the women's side of it, is not intramural hockey. It is legit competition, and our listeners need to understand that. I appreciate you saying that. I couldn't agree more. And we talked about rivalries just a little bit ago, and, and I know you guys are uh, welcoming Kentucky this upcoming season. The Louisville-Kentucky rivalry uh, is is well noted, especially when Kentucky hosts their games at, what, about 11 o'clock at night? Midnight. Places yeah. a circus. Yep. Is it midnight? I, I knew it was close to that. Yep. Hey, Jay, Jay um, we're going to have to go and do a live b- podcast from down there at midnight for that first game. <laughs> we're going to have to get down there early and take a nap. I don't think we can stay up that late anymore. Um, you, Tim, uh, hey, Tim, Kentucky- can we, Tim, can we stay in the commissioner's uh, loads for that one? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. No problem. I'll leave tickets for you. <laughs> You're going to be disappointed, but I'll leave tickets for you. <laughs> so, so Kentucky's played a lot of non-league games against uh, TSCHL teams in recent years. What do you think the Wildcats are going to bring to the league? You know, they're such a natural, uh, and it's kind of a shame we've lost, you know, a little traction over the last few years, kind of dancing and seeing if this was going to make sense. But um, since Coach uh, Tim took over there, uh, he and his son Clay took over there, they brought a whole they, – they've revisited where Kentucky was, you know, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, and they brought that back. What I mean to say what they brought back is a serious, fully committed, all-in hockey program, which fits our conference perfectly. That's what you have to be about. You know, you have to be about running the program in a first-class way and um, on, both on and off the ice and in the classroom. All of those things matter. So they'll bring all of those things – you know, which is a little bit less tangible than the next comment, which is they're also a darn good hockey program. So they're going to make everybody better. I think they'll be right in the middle of the pack, you know, this year. Um, They have played in the conference, um, you know, out of conference, but they played, as you mentioned, a lot of the teams and they more than held their own. So um, I think, you know, they, they have one goal, which is the same goal of every other team is they're not coming just to get to know people. This isn't a, a feeling out season for them. They're there to win. 
the, the, the whole thing this first year. And we love that. We need that. We want everybody, you know, striving for that. So, and like you said, the other part is it is as late as it is at midnight. It is a ball. It is an. I've been called every name in the book down there, and and, uh, and there's nothing better, you know. You know you're in. So they 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 for our listeners that don't know, they drop the puck at midnight. Yep. Explain to our listeners what that's, and, and they 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 pack their arena, right? Oh yeah, it's a full house. There's it's it's that's why that's why it's people say well midnight's kind of late, but everyone says well the atmosphere is so fantastic and so electric that people want to be a part of that. And these are college kids after all, so you can imagine they spend a little bit of time uh, off campus, free gaming, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they show up ready to do their part and uh it, you know and it's it's loud it's crazy it's but here's the thing it's a blast it's it's really really a lot of fun and everybody looks forward to it uh every year regardless of the uh the time of night that it's occurring it, it, so for our listeners is, is the rink on campus or off campus it's off campus it's probably okay. about 10 minutes off campus okay and uh and then they usually do a friday night saturday night, like friday night midnight saturday midnight yeah, which, you know, that's a huge home ice advantage, right? When you go yeah. on the road and then you're, you know, you're the visiting team has from the mill around in a hotel a whole second day and the, things of that nature. But, um, hey, to their credit, you know, I, that may or may not be the case this year. They'll probably do some home and homes because, you you know, you might play at midnight on a Friday and then they might go up to Cincinnati for a eight o'clock, you know, the next night type of a thing. So, right, right. It, it's funny, too, you know we get there about 10 o'clock, you know, to the rink and there's a line out front already. I mean, they're literally lining up and tailgating <laughs> in the parking lot. And that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an atmosphere. Yeah. That's what you want. Hey, hey Jay, 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 I'm telling you, we're going to take Tim up on his uh, commissioner's loge when we, when Let's we get go. on there. So. Let's go. We're, Coach Tim will take good care of us. Uh, <laughs> down there at UK, he'll take good care of us. What kind of snacks do we have in the loge? Well, I don't know. I might be the guy in line. I might be in the line pregame with all the college, with all the college people. Yeah. The load snacks come right out of that vending machine. In the yeah. lot. My treat. I'm happy to buy. Tim, you're, you're going to ask Jay, hey, where's Sully at? I don't know. He's at some tent over there. I don't know what he's doing. I'm going to go live with the podcast. Just walk around with the microphone. You know what? That could be fun. Could yeah, be right. Fun. Or, or or we'd have to we have to hit the dumb button a lot. Just severely dangerous. Lot of, severely lot of, dangerous. Indeed. <laughs> hey, so Tim, in 2021, uh, you guys have your your tournament coming up. It's going to be at Slater Arena in Bowling Green, uh, which is an unbelievable uh, uh, facility. Uh, we've actually had the opportunity of playing there as players and coaching there as coaches. Um, how is the? Can you talk to us through how the tournament? site is selected and what are other some what are some other locations that we might see in the future sure uh well we, there is a whole selection process the the host team has to put in a bid and um that has to include you know game time schedules and uh, proximity to hotels and restaurants and of course cost comes into it and things of that nature um you know uh, um a BG was a particularly attractive site because of what you just said, the arena and the quality of the ice surface and just the whole, the quality of the facility in general is just so first class that that mattered to me a lot, you know, to have the kids have an experience like playing in a place like that. So uh, Bowling Green, um, they, uh, and then the, then the, the league votes on it, you know, they see the proposal. So it's not just me, you know, making some selection, I might have a recommendation um, or two, but um, it, um, 
you know, it was it was BG. Ohio State, I think, is very viable um, yeah. candidate to host uh, in the very near future, maybe 22 or you know or so. Um, we in Miami, we'd love to have, but they have so much ice utilization there right now. It's just a difficult rink to um, have access to. But as you know, you've probably been in there. It's boy, I don't know if there's a if there's a better ice surface uh, to play on or a better it's facility beautiful. to play in. It's beautiful but, in there. Beautiful, down there. it is. It is. So. Now, was there was there with regards to Bowling Green, uh, with it probably being the most northern uh, school in your conference, uh, was there any like discussion about that because that that's that's not like central right so that's right there was there was uh, but they did a great job of securing uh good ice time and by a good ice time i mean I, I think of it in two ways you're not playing too late at night but you're not playing too early in the day where kids are having to miss an extra day of school you know I, i'm pretty cognizant of that making yeah. sure that um you, know, so you do have to miss a half a day of school from time to time. Sometimes you have to miss a day of school. Um, if you get to regionals, you might even miss more than that. But, um, you know, here our ice time was so favorable that it became attractive to to do it there because if we had done it in other locations, um, the ice time would have been pushed later. So it was just kind of a give and take. And probably the ultimate decider was teams were saying, I'm willing to do that. Um, because we want to play in that great ring. Well, bench. Yeah, you, you know what that bench is yeah, like. Yeah, you guys are gonna you guys are gonna have an awesome facility to play in for that tournament twenty one. And and you know, as as we all hope, we hope that there is a twenty one. So, you know, when it comes to our seasons. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that uh uh Kentucky put in, but the game times were just a little too late for everyone else who's on the list. <laughs> yeah, their game times were twelve midnight, two AM and four AM. Yeah. Yeah, well, you got the first, breakfast like, oh, special at six. At first, I thought this looks great, and until I saw AM instead of PM, and then get <laughs> the discount that bit. <laughs> well, Tim, oftentimes we get uh, we we open up questions from Twitter for uh, listeners of the show. We have one here from a Greg Revac at Coach Revac on Twitter. How has the transition from being Coach of the Year in 2016 at Xavier to being more in an advising role now? to now commissioner of the T been for you personally? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, those folks up there at, with the zips, they run a first class program. They were part of our league for a number of years and uh, Greg and coach cookie up there are just awesome guys and they're rebuilding their program and, and not to totally digress from your question, but it's an awesome, um, they are a great Twitter follow because of what they're doing with that program in a holistic view, not just what's happening on the ice, but um, if you're looking for a, a real Twitter follow, that's a good one to, to jump on. So having said that, the transition has been, um, I'm, I'm thankful that I've been able to stay as involved as I have been in hockey, um, albeit it doesn't quite. Um, well, I'll tell you, the, put it to you this way, the agony of losing has been dissipated, but the thrill of winning has not, I haven't been able to replace that, but it's pretty close. Um, I'm still around the kids a lot. Um, and I can tell you, um, and I'm, I really mean this with all sincerity, all these kids you come across, you just meet, they're, they're unbelievably good kids and they make it a lot of fun to do what I'm doing. And they make me want it to be great for them. You know, I'm really, really, it's important to me that they have a great experience. And that wouldn't be the case if they were all kind of selfish or, you know, just not great kids, but they really are. And I'm speaking about top to bottom. Every, every kid that I've met in the program is 
that are like that. So that makes it easier too. But uh, in full disclosure, I still miss the bench. I still miss the locker room and even miss some of those late night practices. <laughs> hey, from your time playing at Chaminade now, how have you seen the game change? Is it changed for the better, for the worse? Uh, what do you think we need to do to continue to grow the game? Because ultimately, you know, that's our, that's our goal is to grow the game, whether it's the youth level, high school level, junior level, college level, it doesn't matter. You know, so what, what do you think in, in your role or what you've seen over the years, what do you think we need to do to continue to grow the game? Yeah, well, first of all, the, the big changes are, um, you know, not to borrow the cliche, but bigger, stronger, faster. And that is right. so, you know, I mean, I was, I was five foot two, 110 pounds playing varsity hockey in high school and I survived, you know, that would never, ever happen uh nowadays um hey i believe you. that year you went 17 7 and 1 too was that correct we, we, yeah, yeah yeah maybe see I, like I, I got yeah. stats on you buddy i got I'm ready. <laughs> so um, but, but after but he, but he never went to ted drews come on <laughs> fair. that's fair i did go to the brewery i want to keep bringing that up I want to keep bringing that up. uh the um but the other thing uh tim is the skill level is unbelievable so they're bigger they're stronger and i see pucks go places that i look over at my assistant coach chuck sparrick you know over the years and i would say to myself how the hell did that puck get where it just got because i never would have dreamed of doing that you know 25 years ago when i was playing so the the caliber is so good and we need to keep telling people about that frankly what you guys are doing in ohio and I mean this with all sincerity. I don't think there's anything more important to grow hockey in Ohio than what you guys are doing right now. You're bringing a lot of eyes from all different angles into the game. And so people are going to hopefully after they hear this, they're going to say, oh, I'm going to go watch a little of that TSCHL hockey and have the thing we were speaking about, the realization that the caliber is unbelievable. The hockey is so good that that it's hard to, to um, imagine that it could be that good. Right streaming helps you know social media helps uh, twitter helps all those kinds of things are helping to continue to bring uh, more and more eyeballs to the hockey and as a, a funny thing too i believe this as the blue jackets have gotten better hockey in ohio has gotten better and um i i know that from my experience in st louis right when the blues were good hockey was huge when they struggled kids might go play something else and um uh, I should, did I mention that the Blues won the Stanley Cup last year? So um, <laughs> No, no, you didn't mention that, but I had to live through it the entire time, so trust me. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. My daughter's getting wedding. We were married, and we have um, Gloria queued up probably six or seven times during the ceremony. Love nice, it. Love nice. It. <laughs> so what's on the horizon for the, uh, for the tea, this, the upcoming seasons? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's what it, what's on the horizon is in the very near right in front of us horizon, which is how are we going to navigate this COVID thing? You know, what's, what's that going to look like? And uh, to the, to the ACHA's credit, they're working the issue. Of course, all the universities are working the issue and we're closing in. We are not there yet. I don't think we know the answer to what's the next season. What does this upcoming season look like? We're not quite there yet, but I think um, that clarity will come in the next couple of weeks. And I don't think it's going to look like a normal season, guys. I, I think some schools are not going to be able to play in the fall. And um, so, but we'll have a plan and we'll be ready for whatever it comes. You know, we have several options sort of uh, in a box ready to um, un unlock once we know what this all looks like. So I, I'm confident we're going to have a season. It'll just look different, I think, than seasons in the past. 
Right. And, and, and again, and what I hopefully our listeners understand is that you, you're going to a little bit of a different situation with, you know, all the interstate travel that you guys do. Um, you know, like, I mean, up here, like when we talk about high school hockey, we could stay within the state, like we could lock ourselves in the state, a lot of interstate travel that you guys do. So one state might say, no, no we don't want anyone leaving or we're, you know, whatever it may be. So that's going to be a unique and tough and tricky it's- thing. Real, real life examples. Xavier's scheduled to go play UConn this year, and I don't think they're going to be able to go because they don't know what'll happen when they come back. You know, you can't quarantine kids for 14 days. They have classes to get to, so right. um, it'll look. Fortunately for us, geographically, it's very favorable. You know, we're all. I mean, just look at a map, and you can see how close we all are to each other, and that helps, especially if it became the state by state thing you know there's a lot of Ohio teams here and there's a couple of Kentucky teams and of course there's Indiana but I think we're prepared for whatever comes our way um and just trying to be eternally optimistic to get the most out of it as possible right well lastly uh another uh Twitter uh not really question but more of a comment uh someone called themselves uh someone calling themselves at Drisk underscore Maddie just wanted to say go dad I'm familiar with her. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's one of my twin daughters, and uh, she's a she's a collegiate cheerleader. So she just had to get her cheering uh, in for her old man there. I think. So. Yeah, there you <laughs> By go. The way, whoever whoever responded to that was hilarious. Um, she told me about that. The response was she got a kick out of whoever replied back to her on that. I didn't even see the reply. What was the reply? Can you can you share something to the effect of that's not really a question, but we'll let him know. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's funny. Awesome. That's- that's funny. Hey, Tim, we can't thank you enough for coming on uh, and, and letting our listeners uh, get a little taste of what the tea uh, has to offer. Uh, and again, I just want to kind of reiterate the fact that ACHA hockey, you know, the tea being involved, all the thing is not a intramural sport. It's a very competitive uh, uh, group of, of players that go out and play hard every day. Um, we, as, as Jay and I are high school coaches, we thank you for what you do in making sure that these leagues, especially the T, uh, are doing the right thing academically and also hockey-wise. So thank you again for that. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. You bet, guys. Thank you. And please keep doing what you're doing because it's great work, and it's important work for the hockey uh, community. So it, it matters, and a lot of eyes on you guys, and we're all grateful for it. Great. Thank Thanks, you. Tim. Thanks, guys. From college to juniors, let's get on air with our next guest from the USPHL's Toledo Cherokee general manager and head coach, Kenny Miller. Our next guest got his junior coaching start as the assistant with the Toledo Ice Diggers in the North American Hockey League. He then went on to take the helm as the head coach and general manager of the Alpina Ice Diggers in the North American Hockey League and was named the NAHL general manager of the year in 2006-2007 after leading his team to a franchise high. 37 wins after two seasons in Marquette with the Rangers he spent the last eight years as the head coach and general manager of the Toledo Cherokee of the United States Premier Hockey League please welcome on air from the Toledo Cherokee general manager and head coach Kenny Miller welcome Hi coach. guys thanks for having me no problem thanks for joining us appreciate it it's quite a resume you got there and, and I, we're going to talk a lot about your coaching uh, career but tell us a little bit about yourself where did you grow up uh, what was your path playing coaching uh, let the listeners know a little bit about your past. Yeah, so I did grow up here in Toledo um, and played youth hockey growing up back at the old sports arena and uh, just played all the way up till I was about 18 years old and and decided at that point I was going to be done playing and uh, 
fortunately for me, my dad, who uh, used to own the ice house before he passed, was a was a youth hockey coach and was able to start coaching with him at about 18. And then uh, just from there, just been coaching ever since. So you, so you grew up playing in Toledo. Um, mm-hmm. And you said your dad owned the, the ice house, the rink, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, probably about 15, I think it might be their 15th season. It, it was actually a, a ice rink. When I was a little guy and it closed and it sat vacant for quite a while. And then they were uh, him and he had two partners. And one of the partners is Lee Ekman, who currently owns it by himself, uh, started it back up. And that's when the uh, ice diggers started playing there and the Cherokee and, and it's been going strong ever since. Nice. Who was the who was the first team you coached before you got well, into juniors? Is the Toledo Junior Storm? It was a nice. it was a Bantam Bantam team, and uh, I don't know if you guys know, but Pat, a guy by the name of Pat Pillipuke, he was like one of the original Toledo Storm members of the team. Um, had retired and became the general manager of the pro team, and he he uh, he took over as head coach for my dad, and, and that's when I started assisting him. So it uh, goes back a ways, but uh, yeah, that's where we got started. So then from you're an assistant there and your first junior job was as an assistant to big Mike Menkowski with the Toledo Ice yeah. Tigers. Uh, what, what, what drew you from say the band level moving up? What drew you to the junior? Well, level? the, the three guys that own the ice house or did own it actually started that junior team. And um, I didn't really know Mike Mankowski at the time he was coaching St. John's high school. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you remember that. And mm-hmm. then he got the head coaching job and I actually just kind of managed the team at the start and then uh, helped him. And then when we, we were there for one season and then moved over to the uh, Toledo ice house. And then that's when I got really involved in the coaching side of it. I was basically rink manager, assistant coach. Mike was head coach, assistant rink manager. And we stayed okay. that way for a couple of seasons until they decided they were going to move the team to Alpena. And when they did that, Mike was actually going to go and be the head coach. And he got offered a, uh, a division one assistant job at Canisius. And when he took that, that's when uh, me and the family moved to Alpena and I took over as head coach there. So your first, your first head coaching job was the Alpena in the North American Hockey League. Talk to us a little bit about how that came to be with the Toledo Ice Tigers relocating to Alpena. Like, how did that transition uh, happen? Uh, and, and again, uh, not only hockey-wise, but personal-wise, you said you just moved your family up there. <clears throat> how did that go? Well, uh, so you guys are aware of the North American League, and it, it's a tuition-free league. And – Toledo's been always been a minor hockey league town, you know, with the storm, the walleye, the gold diggers. And we just, the, the team just didn't thrive financially here. It was just tough because the kids are playing for free. You, you have to basically cover every expense for them. And when we weren't drawing fans, getting corporate sponsorships, it was, it was just going to be too hard. So they started doing some research and looking at some areas that might be able to support a, uh, junior team and uh we were on our way that weekend actually up to Sault Ste. Marie to play the Indians when we were still in Toledo and one of the owners went up early and checked out the rink in Alpena met with a few people so we comes to us tells us hey you know this is this this looks like a place that could really support a junior team so we start doing a little bit of research and actually myself and Mike Mankowski went up 
um, check things out, see what kind of corporate sponsorships we could get, season ticket sales, things like that. We moved a couple of our Toledo Ice Digger games up there just to kind of do a trial run to see what it was like. And the place was packed. Uh, we were playing the Sioux Indians. And I mean, they, they came out and supported us. And it was kind of a no brainer after that to, to move the team there. So, so we get we get the arena, we get the lease, we get everything. And then I get the head coaching job. So we were talking about moving my family. We had just had our daughter and we move up there and had a very small staff, was able to sell. I think, I think the arena held permanent seating. There was like 980 seats. I think we had over 700 season ticket holders. So yeah, it was great. The corporate sponsorship was huge. Um, you know, you got some of the biggest businesses up there were supporting the team. So it, uh, you know, it was, it was a no brainer for those guys to move that team up there. And it, it was successful for a lot of years until that area of the North American league kind of disband with Alpena, Traverse city, Marquette going South and being sold and being moved around. So, okay. So you are, you, you win the North American GM of the year after 37 win campaign. You head to Marquette, guiding them for two seasons before returning to Toledo and the Cherokee. What drew you back to the Toledo area? Well, the, the, the Rangers actually got sold after our second season. Um, I had taken over a team that had missed the playoffs the year before. And our first year we, we went to the playoffs. And then the second year we were able to win the division and mm-hmm. we got beat in the first round of the playoffs. Um, by the team here in Trenton Motor City Mechanics. And we, uh, it was actually a pretty good series. We were playing with our backup goalie who uh, has play, ended up playing, Lucas Hafner, he ended up playing at Western Michigan, uh, played some time in the ECHL, local kid from Toledo. So we had four or five Toledo kids on that Marquette team. And so we, we get knocked out after our second season we get knocked out of the playoffs and we were traveling back to Marquette and we're actually excited about the fact that we're going to have a big core of kids back. Mm-hmm. And we think with the guys that we've signed for next year, like we're going to have a really good shot. Well, about a week after we get back, the, the owner says, Hey, I need to talk to you. She calls me in, tells me sold the team, sold the team to a group out of Flint. And then that team ended up becoming the Michigan warriors. Okay. And just, just after, after moving the family from Toledo to Alpena and then going even further North to Marquette and then it being sold to a group in Flint, I, it was just time to come home. And, uh, we, we decided that we we're going to come back to Toledo and I was out of hockey for about seven months and then, uh, got asked to take over the Cherokee I've been coaching them ever since. Nice. So, so you, you go and talk to the listeners a little bit about you're at Alpena and then you go to Marquette and I would have to assume that that's a pretty big rivalry, correct? It was, and it was funny because things weren't going great with, uh, so all, all the while, these three guys, my dad, Lee Ekman, and a, and a gentleman named Mike Ben were the owners, and things weren't going great as far as with the ownership group with with one of the owners, and um, I, I, was, I wasn't actively looking for a job, but I had a pretty good relationship with David St. Ange, who was the owner and general manager of that team in Marquette. And we were just having a conversation one day over the phone and he had made a comment, you know, I was venting to him and he had made a comment about, you know, things, things always work out for the best. And I didn't think much of it. 
So then I, I called him back a couple of days later. I'm like, what does that exactly mean? And he said, well, we're, we're, we could possibly be looking to make a coaching change at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, I'd like to sit down with you. And within, I mean, I was hired by Marquette maybe a week after the, the regular season had ended. And um, it, I don't know that it was a huge rivalry because Marquette was fairly new, but it became a rivalry once, you know, I ended up going there and we, we ended up trading for a couple of guys that had played in it with us in Alpena. So that made it where, you know, obviously they wanted to beat up on us because we had, you know, coach leaves and he takes a couple of guys with them, but it was only for two seasons. So it, the rivalry, I mean, when you get to the high school level, when you get Marquette and Alpena and the youth hockey, it's a big deal. It was, the junior was fairly new for them. So I, I wouldn't say it was a huge rivalry. I, when I was in Alpena, our rivalry was Traverse City. That was a big one. That, right. that was always the one. And Marquette, I think, was only around for four seasons. They had two years prior to getting there and two years while I was there. So prior to your time with the Cherokees, you worked in, and I want to kind of talk to, have our listeners listen, listen, you talk a little bit about the difference between the tier two North American Hockey League uh, and then the tier three level now that the USPHL is. Um, can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about uh, compare and, and contrast maybe those style of plays, uh, the goals and expectations, maybe from back 10 years ago to uh, even now? I mean, is it similar? Is it different? You know, yeah. what, what should our listeners uh, know about that? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example real quick, and then I'll answer that. When we were in Alpena, um, I had a pretty good relationship with Ian Duncan, who's who's living over there in Cleveland, who was the coach of the Cherokee at the time. And when we would need a guy to come up, he would send a guy up to us. So he sends a goalie up for to, to practice with us for a week and, and back up on the weekend. So he plays all week with us, doesn't play in the games, and we're going to send him back on – Monday. So I bring him in and I'm talking to him and I asked him what, what the difference was for him as a goalie, you know, playing in the, then the NA3HL or the central States, I think it was then to coming up and practicing with us for a week. And he said, the biggest difference is at the, at the time at the junior B level, guys would just shoot at me to get pucks on net. He said at this level, every time these guys come down the ice, they're finding an area and they're shooting to score. So the, the difference to me is, and you had mentioned it, it, a lot of it has to do with the commitment level. Don't get me wrong. There are lots of tier three players that their commitment level is the same as those guys at the tier two level. Tier two level, those guys, it's hockey 24-7. They, they're putting the work in on the ice, in the weight room, how they eat so, so that their ultimate goal is to get a division one scholarship. When you get to this tier three level, it's a little different. It's expensive to play. So there's a, there's a big cost for tuition. So the, in order for that kid to be able to play, it's a big financial burden on the family. So what I've, I've found is a lot of the tier three players, they have to work during the summer and they don't get to train 24 seven like a tier two guy does because they have to maybe help with tuition or make sure they have enough spending money during the season because mom and dad are shelling out, you know, anywhere from seven to, to $10,000 for these guys to play tier three. Whereas at the tier two level, 
you know, all I got to pay is for uh, room and board. The rest is all hockey all the mm-hmm. time. Um, and, and there's, there's a, there's quite a bit of difference in the, in the level of play. We see it with our guys. We feel like there's, you know, every year, maybe two or three guys on our roster that could play at that level that are committed to it, that have the talent to do it. They're just not, unfortunately, they just don't get the break they need. But at the tier two level, like those guys are putting the work in so that they can go to school and their talent level shows for sure. So uh, obviously with Toledo also, when you were in Alpena and Marquette and in the North American, obviously you have scouts finding guys for you or, or at least pointing them in your direction. Mm-hmm. What is it that you as the GM head coach look for when you're watching potential players? Well, I can honestly say uh, the last couple of seasons, I've been fortunate enough to have, uh, we had hired a, a guy to do a lot of the recruiting um, for our team. Mm-hmm. the the more that the the longer that I've coached uh, the the less I want to be out on the road trying to recruit so right but as the head coach you have to do that and you when you go to these combines or just last week I was in uh I don't know if you guys are familiar but Sylvania Tamil Shanner had a four-team North American League tryout there last week yep. I think it ran Monday Tuesday Wednesday I went out Tuesday night and you, you just, you're looking for guys that when you're watching them play, are they going to play like that when they're on your team? You know, when I, when we used to have those big NHL tryouts, you just tell guys, do, don't try to do something that you, you normally wouldn't do in a game. So just play your style. So if you're a checker, go out and check because our team's going to need checkers. If, if you're a guy that can score 30 goals, then, then your job at this camp is to score. So I think when you're trying to build a team, you're looking for everything. And my thing is, is I'm not just out there watching the guys that are filling the back of the net. I'm watching a guy see how he plays away from the puck. You know, where is he? Is he on the right side of the puck or is he on the wrong side of the puck? You know, how, how well does he play in his own end? We, you can watch a guy score seven or eight goals in a trial camp, but if he, he was out on the ice for five goals against, you know, he's sitting at a plus two ratio. So, you know, is that guy going to be a guy you want to be on your team? And is he a guy that you can trust late in the game? You know, you look for all those kind of things when you're, when you're at a camp or you're out recruiting or you're watching a high school game, you know, you want to see how they interact on the bench. Do they listen to the coach when he's talking to you? That was going to be my question was how, uh, how important to you is it, or is it to you to watch the guy, Maybe when he's on the bench too. Absolutely. You know, let's see what his demeanor is. I know we spoke with Ian Moran uh, uh, a few weeks ago about what what he looks for when he's he's doing central scouting for uh, neutral zone, and he says, you know, I, I watch the guy, and if he doesn't get the pass uh, and he ends up going offside, does he slam his stick down like a baby, or mm-hmm. uh, when he gets to the bench and you know he should have been out there, but he came for a shift, they score, is he still congratulating his teammates? I mean. Could you talk about how much, I don't want to say the off-ice, but how much does the off-ice away from the actual play also influence what you're looking for? Oh, I, I agree with Ian 100%. I mean, body language is a big thing. And we, we talk about that with our guys all the time. Like you can't mope. You can't pout. And when you see that at a tryout, who, who's going to want to take, take a guy and have to deal with that kid for six to eight months, if things aren't going his way, he's pouting, he's, you know, not 
not a good teammate. That that was the biggest thing like over the last couple of seasons with us is we had to change the culture within our dressing room. And two seasons ago, we, we it was it was not good because we weren't winning and you know uh, winning and losing are both contagious. Sure. And when you see it at a trial camp and you see a kid who, like you said, doesn't congratulate his teammate when they score a goal because he, he felt like he should have had that, that guy should have passed the puck to him. Yeah. I don't know that that's a guy that you really want on your team. Right. Right. I think it's, uh, you know, when we talked to uh, Ian, he also talked about uh, he would watch the kids at these uh, they weren't tryouts or, you know, he showcases or whatever. He'd go sit in the lobby and watch these kids and see how they reacted to their parents. Like when they came out of the locker room and, you know, just how their, their interaction with their parents or their teammates or their girlfriend or whoever it was. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a big part of it as well. You know, uh, so you're, you're going into your eighth season with the Cherokee and uh, um, you remember the USPHL premier league uh, in the great lakes division. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the notable differences under that umbrella of the USPHL as opposed to the old, old alignment of the NA3HL? Yeah. Um, the, I'll give 100% props to the NA3HL on how organized it is and how, um, you know, I mean, they, they carry their discipline with, you know, and they have a great staff that does a great job promoting the league and when it comes to media type stuff and like i said very organized the difference i see is when it comes to the usphl they pride themselves on the play on the ice meaning we're going to get our guys out in front of as many guys college guys tier two guys that we can and they promote the hockey where i think the na3hl is more of a business model where it's like Hey, we're going to show that we have the best website. We have, you know, we, we got the guy that does the best press releases. And again, we were a member of that league for a while. I mean, I made the transition from the tier two to the tier three with it. So I feel like I have, you know, some, some loyalty to it still to this day, but I feel like the USPHL when, when we got the pitch to go from the three HL to the USPHL, the biggest sell for us was you get, multiple showcases where when we're in the three HL, we played three showcase games a year in Blaine, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. This, this league we're in now, I mean, if you wanted to, you could go to a showcase just about every weekend. If your budget, if you could do it in your budget, I know this, this past season, we had a showcase in Frazier, Michigan. We went to Chicago. We went to Boston. The first year we we're in the league, we went to Boston twice. Um, I know that the Metro jets in Lansing, are doing four showcases this year. So from a, from a standpoint of the hockey where it's much easier to sell a kid, in my opinion, on the fact that, Hey, you're going to get to play in multiple showcases and show your talent to all of these tier two and uh, division three and ACHA division one schools. And, and those are the, the kids that you want to get. Cause those are the kids that want to move on. The other, uh, the other thing that was big with us making that decision, I think every guy in our division will tell you, is the affiliate program that the USPHL has. You know, we're a member of the NA3HL for, I believe Toledo was in there six, seven years. And I don't know that we had uh, one guy called up to the NAHL. We've been in the USPHL for, this will be our third season. We've had 
four kids go to the NCDC during the season. And we had three guys just drafted back in the uh, June draft. So I think from an affiliate standpoint, it's, it, it gives our kids an option and the ability to go up and play with their NCDC affiliate. And are you, are you guys directly affiliated with someone in the NCDC or is it, I guess, across the board where the NCDC keeps track of what's going on in the USPHL and if they have a need or, or whatever, they can call any of the teams? Yeah, so, so the, the way it works is we all have our own affiliate. So, okay. I mean, you think about it, how many USPHL premier teams there are. I think there's over 50 mm-hmm. and there's only only 12 NCDC teams. So ours is – we're. Uh, the Cherokee are affiliated with the South Shore Kings, okay. as is the Motor City Hockey Club. And I, I mean, there's a, there's a list of teams that are uh, affiliated with South Shore. However, you know, last year um, we got a call from the Connecticut Junior Rangers who was interested in one of our O2 uh, players, Zestelmazak. So they can certainly, those other teams can certainly call us and say, hey, we noticed that you know, they basically called and said, he's a young kid. We think he's a good prospect. We'd like him to come out here for a week. Not sure if he's going to play in any games. So he, he flew out, um, spent a week out there. Unfortunately, they told him on Thursday night, hey, you're not going to get in the lineup this weekend. So he basically caught a flight home Friday morning, was able to play with us on the weekend. So okay. they, they, can, they can contact us or they can contact the player. But most of those guys do it the right way and contact the team. And, and say, hey, I know you're not, we're not affiliated with you, but we like so-and-so, and we'd like to see him come out here. And in turn, Zeph, who, you know, we're affiliated with South Shore, he ends up getting drafted by the Connecticut Junior Rangers and actually out there this week at their main camp. Oh, nice. Oh, good. Yeah. So you, you guys have a pretty strong pipeline with the Northwest Hockey Conference, specifically Sylvania Northview. <laughs> What? I'll get to that later. <laughs> what What is the draw? What is the draw there with Northview for you, other than proximity? Um. Well, I, we would. We're trying to get to a point where we could take them from everywhere when when they right. graduate. You know, um, right. for a long time, high school kids, uh, for whatever reason, early on, back in the old Central States League days, when they graduate. They'd come play for the Cherokee, and then it got away from it uh, for a while. And with us hiring uh, Nick Signs, who I had mentioned earlier, I didn't mention his name, but the guy we hired to do a lot of our recruiting, uh, it kind of works out for us because he's actually a youth hockey coach over there at Sylvania. So he gets to see these guys practice. He gets to see them play games. And we've just started a a better rapport with all these teams over there Mm -hmm. to try and get their kids to come play for us after, uh, after they get out of school. And I think the whole Sylvania Northview thing is it's a, it's a public school. So these guys play high school hockey and maybe they want to take a break between graduation and going to college and, and try to their hand at some junior hockey. Whereas it's tougher for us to get kids from say St. Francis and St. John's because these, these guys are going to, you know, private Catholic schools for four years, spending a lot of money on tuition to go to school. And then you're asking their parents to, to shell out, you know, six to $7,000 a year to play tier three hockey after these guys have done four years of, you know, college prep high school, where it's like, you, you're just going to go to school, son, 
there, there's no reason for you to play junior hockey. So we've, we've had our fair share of kids coming from St. John's and, and St. Francis, but right now it just seems like we're getting a lot of the Wildcats coming through and we're okay with it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, they have a heck of a program over there, so it's, you know, it's not a bad program to get uh, kids from. So you, you obviously have a good pipeline there. Uh, you know, your team obviously scouts a lot of both Ohio and Michigan high school hockey leagues uh, pretty intensely, I would imagine. And obviously Michigan is one of the richest states uh, in terms of turning out hockey players. Uh, you know, what, what do you think are some key differences between the two locations as far as players go? Uh, I think the the level of play, the talent level in, in Michigan. And again, we have, you know, we have our St. Ignatius's and our Ed's and our Northview, Southview, St. John's, teams like that, that, that have good programs, but then it kind of drops off where there are so many good Michigan high school teams and programs. And I just think that the talent level up there um, it is better than, say down here because a lot of those kids if if you follow the rosters or watch them play a lot of those kids play triple a hockey until they get to maybe junior senior year and they get kind of burned out so they just go and play with their buddies in high school and and the level is is you know it brings up that level when those kids leave say a triple a program and join their high school team and if you get two or three or four of those kids on your team it's it's going to make a big difference um I mean, we got our we got our hockey players in Ohio that can play. They can play at the tier two level. They can play at the tier one level. But when you get up there, I mean, you see a lot of kids drafted in the USHL, the, the North American League that are playing Michigan high school. And I just think that the the talent level is just 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 better than Ohio, unfortunately, right now. Right. So as a as a junior coach, and and you know, Ohio players are probably a big part of your uh program what what do you think what what would you like to see done or what do you think could be done to try to uh close that gap uh between ohio and michigan you know or minnesota massachusetts whatever those those powerhouse uh, states i think i mean we're in the right direction i think one of the the big things and i i'm now i i don't want to be commissioner of the Ohio High School Athletic Association. I don't think anybody does right now. No. (laughs) But I think I think they need to kind of tier the the teams, if you will, have have multiple state champions like they do in in Michigan. And I know they've kind of talked about that a little bit, but there there are kids, especially at the tier three level, that are skating in Ohio at some of the, if you will, lower end schools that could play tier three hockey. I mean, we look at schools like Anthony Wayne and Perrysburg that made the jump to the red division uh, here in Toledo. There's there's a handful of kids on both those teams that could play at our level. So I think we're going in the right direction. And I don't want people to think that I think Michigan hockey, high school hockey is so much better than Ohio because I, I used to go up to Trenton every year and watch St. Francis go there and hang with those guys and play in that Trenton tournament every year. So I just think, when it comes to Michigan high school hockey, top to bottom is better than, say, Ohio, top to bottom. But we have our teams. I would like to see it tiered a little bit. And then that way, as a Tier 3 coach, when you go to scout, say, the state tournament, you you might have 
eight teams there instead of just the four or 12 teams. And you can find a diamond in the rough on one of those teams from, you know, whether it be Anthony Wayne or, I mean, even a, a clay high school or, you know, right. as an example, somebody that could, could help your team, but you could also help become a, a better hockey player as well, coaching them. Right. And, and I, and I think it's important for our listeners, especially because we do get a lot of uh, young listeners that, you know, are playing either at the high school level or uh, AAA level right now, whatever it is. Uh, I think it's important for them to know that, you know, for instance, like, you know, when, when North U or St. John's or Francis hosts a tournament at the TAMO, you know, I'm sure there's, there's yourself and other junior teams in Michigan walking around, checking out who the players are there. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's the best for us when Sylvania hosts a tournament, whether it be, you know, at Tamil Shed or whether it be uh, Northview's tournament or St. John's when they put theirs on. But, you know, we're not opposed to going somewhere else, too. If we got to go to Finley or got to go to Columbus, you know, we'll, we'll get in the car and go. Um, you know, Nick, Nick has done a good job going over the entire state and even into Michigan just trying to find, the, you know, the best players that, that want to play for the Toledo Cherokee. So obviously with this day and age with the COVID pandemic, it shut a lot of things down and put a lot of events on hold. Uh, you have your main camp happening now coming up August 7th through the 9th. Mm -hmm. I know you can't predict what's going to happen, but how different do you envision this season being? Man, that's a good question because like you said, you, you can't, I mean, I was on a conference call two weeks ago with our league, all of our, you know, governors and, and the league office. And, and we are being told to, you know, continue to put your team together and, and run your business as they're going to have a season starting at the end of September. And as a, you know, head coach and, and also manager who manages the day-to-day -day operations of the team, you know, that's what I have to do. Um, I, I don't know because I've been out to Tam O'Shea. We, we've been having what we were called prospect skates mm -hmm. where we just invite kids out. And Nick, our assistant coach and director of hockey ops or uh, player personnel, he's been running all those. So I've been out and watching. And, you know, when you see 30 guys and only five of them are in a, allowed in a certain locker room and five got to go in another one. And for the first few weeks, you had to go half ice. You couldn't have more than 10 and or 11 guys on the side of the ice, it, it, it makes it scary. So I don't, I, I'm just going to go off of what the league office is telling us and mm -hmm. just continue to do what, what you have to do in order to make sure you put a good team out on the ice. And mm -hmm. then, um, you know, I guess deal with every situation as they come about. We fortunately for us, we've got a couple more weeks until, till main camp. And we have, uh, you know, we'll follow all the guidelines when it comes, you know, when it comes to doing what we need to do. But we also have to have that camp because we have to make sure we have enough kids and we have the right kids in, in case we do start on that 25th of September. Right. Hey, before we get to the next question, I, I, I guess I have a question. Is, are the, is the Cherokee organization, is, it a, a, is there an owner or is it an organizational run program? How does that work? It, it. It, it operates under a 501c3. So okay. it's a, it's a non-for-profit organization always has been. Um, it, it used to be owned by uh, an individual, uh, two individuals. And then basically probably nine years ago, they basically turned that 501c3 over into, to the 
the Ice House, and we we're basically ran and funded by fundraising and player tuition. Um, there's basically five of us that are on the board, and those that would be uh, Don and Carrie Manders, who is the president and vice president, and she handles all the financials for the Cherokee, and then myself and uh, associate head coach Todd Omi, and basically the four of us kind of run it, um, and and it's been that way for you know the last nine or ten years, and it's worked for us. It's it's uh, you know it's a situation where we we do a lot of fundraising. Uh, as far as golf outings, things like that, to, to help offset some of the cost. And, you know, we've been, like I said, eighth year. And I got to say, we're probably the cheapest tuition in in the, I know, in the Great Lakes division um, and possibly in uh, a lot of the USPHL. So right. it's it's workforce. Good. Okay. Yeah, I just was wondering about that because you talked about some ownership and, and with other teams and um, so this, we, we, we go to Twitter and people ask questions on Twitter, like, you know, if guests coming up or whatever it may be. So this one is going to be a, a kind of a long one. We're going to call this a little rapid fire. All right. You know all right. Wait, before you get into that, none of these are from a guy by the name of Jake Holmes, are they? Oh, they all are. <laughs> See, Jake Holmes is a buddy of mine. He, 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 I play a lot of golf with Jake and he's a, he's a friend of the program, but I, I was told there might be some questions from Jake Holmes. Okay, yeah, so this there's, there's there's about nine of them here. Get ready. There's about nine of them. So we'll do a little uh, uh, rapid fire. Have a little fun here. Kind of right. kind of go off the script a little bit. So this is from at Jake Holmes three. All right, ready? So just kind of quickly yeah. answer these. Do you aim right. for the middle of the green or do you go right at the wickets? Uh, middle of the green. Are you more comfortable playing a draw or power fade? I hit a power fade, and he knows it. <laughs> Jake, did you hear that? You know it. Uh, who makes the best? This this one this one got me a little weird. I'm not gonna lie. Okay. Who makes the best egg and mayo sandwiches? That would be my mom. Jake and I, a group of us, were playing. My mom lives on a golf course and uh, on the sixth uh, tee box, and she had made us uh, egg and cheese sandwiches uh, one one morning when we were out there playing. So is it cheese or mayo? It's not. It's got mayo on it, but it's egg. It's a egg and cheese sandwich um but he he, he okay. messed that up <laughs> right. he he did he did tell my mom afterwards that she was now his favorite miller <laughs> after that go. sandwich so there you go uh who was the incumbent uh gtaha president so he he thinks his buddy dan crandall is gonna be that but we'll have to wait and see who becomes the new president <laughs> of the youth Ho- that's the president right. of the youth hockey association right. uh is the future basketball no, he played college basketball. He knows that hockey's the future. <laughs> where, where did where did he play at? He played at Bowling Green. He's a St. John's kid. Um, <laughs> I, I thought these questions might come up, but he he played <laughs> he played high school basketball at St. John's, and then he uh, he went on to play at BG. He's a big man. He's almost seven feet tall. So okay, all right. Do they make golf clubs uh, tall enough for him? They do, and he's a lefty, and he can play. He's a member out at Highland Meadows, and uh, yeah, he he can play. He's a he's a, he's a lefty who can hit it a long way. All right, uh, we still got four more to go here. I uh, know yeah. fruit pie or fruit salad. I have no idea what that means, so we'll say fruit salad. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever eaten any of your assistant coaches' road meals without telling them? No, and, and how I met 
Jake real quick was through through Todd Omi, who is my associate head coach. So him and Todd are close, and then I become buddies with Jake. So I, I don't know if maybe Todd told him that I ate his meal one time on the road, but I, I don't ever remember doing that. Okay. <laughs> I'm having a good time so with this. I'm sorry. That, that's I'm, a no. I'm enjoying this. Go ahead. I think this next one says, who are the toughest players away from Sylvania? Are the toughest players always from Sylvania? Oh, always yeah. from Sylvania. I'm sorry. Yeah, because he, he again, he's from Sylvania, so he, he he thinks that the Sylvania guys are the tough ones. But we got a lot of Sylvania kids on our team, so I'm going to say, yeah. Aside from the east side of Toledo, where I was born and raised, and he knows that that the east siders are tougher than Sylvania guys. <laughs> oh boy, we got a little turf war going on here, Jay. <laughs> yeah, look out! Look out! Look out! <laughs> All right, who scored the most goals in the entire Cherokee program last year? That would be Dustin. Colton Omi. Colton, Colton Omi of the 2008 Cherokees. Okay. All right. Well, I, don't that was... believe, I don't believe that's true, but Jake tells everyone in his neighborhood that Colton uh-huh. scored the most goals. So. <laughs> well, that was a little rapid fire with the, uh, uh, the help from uh, at Jake Holmes 3. So. I like that. I like that a lot. That's going to be a regular feature. We got to get Jake on a line and see if he can come up one for every one of our guests. That'd be a good time. Yeah. He would do it. I like that. He's a funny but, guy. When you guys were playing uh, at the course, did your mom just leave them in a bag on the six T, or did she no. deliver them to you guys? She she made them like we just actually pulled our carts right up into her backyard and walked <laughs> in the kitchen, and she actually made them while we were standing there. What so what what golf course is this, Ken? Uh, this Eagles Landing in Oregon, Ohio. All right, where where we live. Love. Next yeah. time we go up to Toledo, we got to play golf at Eagles Landing on, yeah. the, on the sixth. So we're just going right to the back uh, door. Where's our egg I'm, sandwich? I'm, I'm writing it down. Knocking on the gla- the. I'm assuming there's some sort of glass door in the back. Yep. And when this lady comes, probably with a gun, wondering what the <laughs> heck these guys are doing. We heard you have great eggs, egg and cheese, and mayo sandwiches. Yeah. You t- you you guys let me know when you're coming, and I'll make sure she has some ready for you for sure. <laughs> Done. I'm perfect, writing it down. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I, I seriously did not think this podcast was going to go this way today. When I was thinking about it, I didn't know we would be talking about my mom's egg sandwiches. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you never know. What, you never know what this podcast. I can tell you that. <laughs> We actually have uh, one more question from Twitter. Um, it's just one question this time, and, and I knew we could not have a conversation with someone from Toledo without having a Crandall jump on this. So this one is from Dan Crandall 4, at Dan Crandall 4 on Twitter. What is the toughest barn to play in, excluding the Team Toledo Ice House? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it's obviously for the last four years – the uh, the rink that Metro plays in in Frazier because we haven't won there in four years. Um, so when it comes to, to that, that's what it is. But I think he's saying that because like our place for a tier three team, especially in this area, we, we draw pretty well mm-hmm. and it gets a little rowdy in there. And he's he's been to road games. He knows what those atmospheres are like at some of those other buildings. But when it comes to the toughest place for us to play, because we haven't won there, it would be uh, that that rink up in Fraser where the Jets play for sure. Nice. What are some of your What are some of your favorite places to go play? You, you mean now in this division or, or, or whatever? Or, I mean, when, when you were coaching the North American League, this division, whatever. Well, I loved going to Marquette when I was in Alpena because that place would get 
packed and we seemed like their special nights, whether it was their home opener or uh, a night when they, uh, you know, wore their pink jerseys for breast cancer awareness. And we would always come out on top. So it was always fun winning when they'd have, you know, that many people there. Um, you like to be the spoiler. The, you like to be the spoiler. Yeah, huh? what? <laughs> for sure. I'm not? with you. I'm with you. I'm, uh, I get it. I get it. Um, one, one of the places was nice going to was uh, when Southern Tier was in the 3HL. They've since moved to Erie. But uh, I think Jamestown plays in there now in the North American League. They're in Jamestown, New York. That was a nice building and drew a lot of fans. And uh, they were right on top of you. But um, yeah, we have some really good rinks in our in our division for sure. You know, with Wooster coming back in, that's a fun place to go and play. Yep. Um, we get to play when we do go play at uh, Lake Erie. They actually play all their home games at Mercyhurst University. So oh, last okay. year we got to go. Um, they played at the university played a four o'clock game, and then we played like at seven thirty. So instead of just hanging out at the hotel waiting to go to our game uh we checked in and got the guys fed and then we went over and watched college games so that that was pretty cool playing in a you know a facility like that for two days yeah that's nice we spoke uh uh, earlier with uh tim driscoll tim driscoll is the commissioner of the tri-states collegiate hockey league and he was telling us that um they have a the university of kentucky they play their home games at midnight (laughs) yeah they start their games at midnight and don't they pack that place he says it's like, insane. Like yeah. a circus. I heard, he says I've it's heard nuts. that. I've heard that, and I heard OU is really wild, too, when you go down Ooh, to Bert, uh, Ohio. Bert, Bert Arena seemed to get kind of crazy, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, hey, we can't thank you enough for coming on and joining us and talking a little bit uh, about, you know, the Toledo Cherokee and your background and your coaching and thoughts on that and, and uh, a little bit about the USPHL Premier League and the Great Lakes Conference, so – Kenny, we really appreciate you coming on, uh, talking. Uh, you know, if you have anything else you want to uh, get on throughout the year, reach out to us. We'd love to have you back uh, once the season hopefully gets started. Yeah. And uh, we'll always continue to, to follow you and, and hopefully uh, have good successes. Yeah, well, I'll, I just want to thank you guys for the job you guys do for Ohio hockey. You know, us being, a, I, I guess you call it a small state when it comes to Ohio, but we're starting to really get there with our guys that are not only playing and playing and played in the NHL, but like our guys around here that are going to get drafted this year. And a lot of that has to do with people like you promoting it and getting it out so that, you know, they know that there's good hockey in Ohio. So please keep doing what you're doing and uh, we'll continue to send you our releases and everything that's going on with us. And uh, I appreciate everything you're doing for the, for the game of hockey in the state of Ohio. Hey, you just make sure those uh, egg and cheese sandwiches are ready to go. We'll do anything <laughs> yeah. you want. All right. You got it. <laughs> All right, Kenny. You got sounds it. good, Coach. We'll talk to you. All right. All right. Thank you. A couple good interviews there, Jay. Uh, first talk with Tim Driscoll of the T. It was nice to really understand and get to know a little bit more about uh, that conference when it comes to the ACHA. And uh, I'll tell you what, I, that, I, would, I might w- want to take a trip down to Kentucky, watch one of those games at midnight. Anything going on at midnight is good. Anything going on after the streetlights are on is always good. I don't care what my parents told me about being in and all that. Nothing good happens after 11. Nah, Kentucky hockey's happening at midnight. Let's go. Fire up the bus. Let's roll. The thing I liked about Tim Driscoll and, and, and doing some research on him before we had the chance to speak with him, um, checking out some of his feeds and things like that, he's such a positive guy, and he believes in the brand that's going on in, in the T. And uh, – 
he, he's just, he's all for it. He's all for promoting the players. He's all for promoting the quality of hockey. And I, I, I knew, you know, obviously we know a bit about, about uh, the ACHA. Obviously you, you played in the ACHA and we have a lot of people that we know played in the ACHA. I didn't realize there was the division, the, the T, the, the, the TSCHL. And that's awesome. I mean, you, you look at, you know, independent teams that don't have a division to play in there. You really, you can build rivalries, but it's not as solidified as when you play in a, in a league, in a division, so to speak. And I think that's really cool for those players to, to get like, as Tim said, a quality education and still play quality brand of hockey. I enjoyed listening to Tim today. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoyed listening and talking to him. And uh, I'm going to, you know, continue to follow that, that division because that seems like a fun division. You know, everything's so kind of compact uh, close. I mean, the furthest one north would be Bowling Green, but you know that'll be fun to continue to to follow that. Well, uh, even, and then we had to, even the uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but even no. the, the 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 T final, I believe Ohio State was up or uh, uh, Miami was up. I think it was three three none three one, and Ohio State comes back and beats them four three. Right. So there's some exciting hockey going down there. I know we we do know some players that are playing in the T. So it would be pretty cool to check that out. And I look for. Hopefully, we can get this next year going. Because I look forward to heading up to beat. Then we had the opportunity to talk with uh, Kenny Miller, uh, the general manager and head coach of the Toledo Cherokee in the USPHL. So that was nice to talk to him and learn a little bit more about that the tier three side of the USPHL, uh, especially from his background of going from tier two, uh, you know, going from one team to the rival. I think was kind of interesting how somebody would dare leave a team and go to a rival to better themselves. That's a unique op, uh, opportunity. And then come back home uh, to Toledo and take over and grow the Cherokee. I'm kind of stuck on that last part. Oh, I thought it was really cool to hear, uh, to learn more about the Cherokee. I thought it was cool to hear about uh, Coach Miller and, and how he progressed in his, uh, in his career. And I, I, the one thing I wanted to ask him and I never got the chance to was why both roles? Is it, is it easier to be the GM man and the coach or, you know, I'm sure that takes up a lot of his time and, and, but it was, it was cool to learn about the Cherokee. I, I like how, how open he was about the process of going about finding players, about the, the staff he's created to find those players and then progress those players. And it was interesting to hear the differences between the NA3 and the uh, USPHL. He's got a good thing going in Toledo and it, it is a hot ticket. We have had a chance to see the Cherokee play. Um, it is a fun atmosphere at the team Toledo Ice House, and uh, good things good things are on the horizon for for Coach as they have been in, in the past. And another fun interview for us today. Yeah, and and I I really enjoyed that that or listening to him talk about what he thought the difference between uh, players in the ages of fourteen to eighteen at the high school age, uh, the differences between Ohio and Michigan. And again, we've got some really really talented talented hockey players here in the state of Ohio, and we're going to continue to produce more. Um, but like he said, you know, and I think one thing that I wanted to bring up to him was the, the talent level, uh, or the competition level. I want to say talent level, the comp- competition level is greater in Michigan, but they probably also have, and I don't know the exact numbers, but I would assume that they have double the amount of kids playing hockey in Michigan. You know, I mean, I mean, our state is a wrestling, basketball, baseball, football state, you know, mm-hmm. not in that, not in that order, but let's call it what it is. Right. And it's, un- it's, it's, it's kind of when you get to Toledo, like the Toledo youth numbers, they've got to be a lot bigger than the Cleveland youth numbers or the maybe not Columbus anymore because Columbus is growing, but 
you know, you look at that. If you go to Michigan, every city in Michigan, their youth is pretty is is booming, right? right. So I really appreciate that that, that conversation that, that he or that he talked about the, the difference in, in level of players. I think that one thing that I don't want to call it a misconception or misnomer is that, you know, guys, we've, we've, we know guys that have played in, in the tier three leagues, be it USPHL, be it NA3, whatever. I mean, hell, we know guys that played in, in the, C, in the uh, central states, CSHL. But the misnomer that I've heard time and time again is, why do I want to go play at that level? Now, if you're going to talk about a financial situation, understandable. I mean, right. it, 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 right. it, it is expensive. It can be expensive. There are ways to circumvent that, but it is expensive. So I get that. But to think that it's not a quality option, and I have heard that before, and it's the only reason I bring that up. I mean, in my own family, my brother played that, went that route to play. So it is an option, and it's a, it's a valuable option. It's, it, and it was, it was good to hear from somebody in that league to kind of dissect the pros and cons of it and pros and cons of the tier two versus the tier three. And, you know, ultimately you all want to get to the same goal. You want to play college hockey in some way, shape or form. So there are a lot of avenues there for you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we knocked the rust off after a week away, but seamless nonetheless, Jay, that'll do it for episode 14 of on air. A big thank you to our guests, commissioner of the tri-states collegiate hockey league, Tim Driscoll. And from the Toledo Cherokee general manager and head coach, Kenny Miller. Stop back next week when we'll be joined by from the University of Akron Zips hockey team head coach Matt Cook and assistant coach Greg Revac. We'll also get the chance to talk to Madison, Ohio native and assistant captain of the Clarkson University Golden Knights women's hockey team, Lauren Bernard. Be safe and do what's right. Hashtag I want a season just like everyone else. You can find the on air podcast at www. OhioHockeyDigest.com with full episodes, archives, as well as a list of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Continue to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast.